Hello and welcome to episode 9 of The Figure. Each week we figure out people, numbers and images of the past, present and future. And this week we marked a fantastic milestone of over a thousand downloads. Shah, how did we celebrate? With some champagne. <laughs> With some champagne. <laughs> we were very happy about it. Um, Which you were given for your birthday? Yes, I was given my birthday last year, and it was one of those situations where if I hadn't opened it for a certain occasion, it was always going to sit there. And just get dusty. And, and eventually, champagne does go off. So... <laughs> Really, I was being responsible. And getting over a thousand downloads was yeah. as good an excuse as any. So thank you so much to everybody who's been listening. Absolutely. We're really loving doing this and creating it and yeah. spending so much time together every waking moment. We've literally, I've, Charlotte's literally become like my sister. Like, actually like my sister. <laughs> the, 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 the ability to be able to say whatever I'm thinking to her at any time and also just comfortable in silence. Yeah. Which is just dream. I love that. There's yeah. not very often that no. it's silent, but if ever there are, there is silence. <laughs> it's, it's always comfortable, which I think is really interesting because yeah. there's not very many people not in the all. world not at all. that I would just sit on the train next to yeah. completely silent and you don't really feel and like then, you have to and say And then anything. come up with a podcast idea. Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> Lots of podcast ideas. So, G, what has this week meant to you? Well, I don't think we can really start without talking about the football because last Wednesday I think we all had our hopes up that we would make it through to the final I, yeah. d- I don't know about you but I was I was sort of clenched the entire time um it was very tense yeah and I, I got f- really into it and I was really really sad especially because we were winning yeah. for so much of it I know I know and Gareth Southgate was just the dream of a manager or coach because he just seemed to be so paternal to everyone. I yeah, think that's he was. why he was so yeah. popular. And no. he was so humble. Yeah, exactly. And he was looking great in his waistcoat. <laughs> <laughs> My mum has a massive crush on him. Um, <laughs> yes, so football. And then when they lost and when the game finally ended after extra time and all, they all just fell to the ground... You just thought, oh, oh my gosh, so how do you pick yourself up after that? Yeah. Really, really, yeah. But... Anyway, they did such a brilliant job, and f- congratulations to France as well because yeah. that was a pretty good final. Absolutely, really good final. Those goals were, yeah, really, really good. <laughs> so, Shark, what else did we do this week? Because much of this week was spent together. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I've had a very, we had a very British, we did uh, weekend, we did. sort of together and apart yeah we um went to Wimbledon together on Friday we did and we had court one tickets which was absolutely Mm. amazing my favorite match was definitely the uh doubles match with Jamie Murray and Victoria Azarenka really great against another British doubles partnership yeah 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 no partnership mixed doubles doubles. um and it was just a really great match. It was finished in 55 minutes. Yeah, it's fantastic. Which must be close to some kind of record. And the Anderson and Isner match, meanwhile, was on 14 or 15 by that point in the final set. Went to 24, 26. Such a long game. It's such be- a long game. Yeah. I think it's just, it's just, it's always great to go to Wimbledon if you can um, when it's on, you know, even if it's a ground pass, just because the atmosphere there is just so yeah. fantastic. And really, really good. It's lovely yeah, weather. It was great. Really, really fun. Amazing day. And then on Saturday, actually, no, on Friday, you went to the yes. Globe. So the Friday was a very long day for me. <laughs> And Charlotte was an absolute hero in staying with me the entire time. But I actually went to a midnight matinee at the Globe, which uh, I found out it was only the only midnight matinee of that performance that we will talk about later on in the podcast. But that meant arriving at the Globe, 11.30, and then we were standing from 12 till 3am. And then we watched the sunrise. I, s- I just love that you did that. Yeah. I, I, I've actually not been that up that late in ages. I felt like a kid. Doesn't it become early by that point? Yeah, it was very early. Late. I think uh, Maggie took the, her tr- the first train home at 6.30am. Wow. Yeah, so she didn't even need to Uber anything. So I went to the Globe at a normal time. Yes, you did. Uh, which was 2pm the following day. And I saw um, As You Like It with my godmother and my goddaughter. I got it 
um, for all of us as a kind of joint mm. birthday present. Mm. And we also went to, we had spent some time on South Bank, which is just one of my favourite parts of London. When you got a frozen yoghurt from Snog, from the bright pink bus, definitely go if you haven't been already and you're in yes. London over the summer. You can't miss it. Um, <laughs> and we also went to the National Gallery. And then on Sunday, we watched the Wimbledon final. Congratulations, Djokovic. Yes, we've been supporting you for a while. (laughs) (laughs) And watched the final of the football as well. It was fantastic. Such good weather. And um, I also listened this week uh, to obviously many podcasts, as I always do. But there was one particularly great one uh, by Nobody Panic. Mm -hmm. And it was about festivals. And it's made me very excited to go to Wilderness this summer, where we will be in a few weeks. Which we're doing together, obviously. Yeah, in a few (laughs) weeks' time. Can't wait. I know, July is flying by. I mean, we're going to reach our two-month anniversary in a few days. I know. Yeah. The first figure for today's episode is going to be Serena Williams. And this is somebody that we have been kind of dying to talk about from the very beginning of the podcast, because I think anyone out there, male, female, whatever profession you're in, can just all agree that she is just... Phenomenal. Absolutely amazing. And I think, particularly now, you know, getting to the final, I was just so overcome with admiration for this woman, this mother, this athlete... Who an activist and oh, who's just businesswoman? Absolutely. I mean, the the hyphens go on and on. Absolutely. Um, and so there are so many things that I wanted to want to bring up about Serena, but I think we'll start from the beginning. And she was the youngest of nine siblings. Yeah, um, including half six, siblings. As yeah, well. it was half. So Venus was her. Venus Williams is her sister and uh, biggest rival, also a professional tennis player. And um, they, I think, they were nine in total, but Venus was her only full sister. Yeah, but Serena was the youngest of everybody. Yeah, of everyone. Yeah, and she, was, and she said the girliest as well. And the interviewer says that in order to fit the interview in, she had the interview with Serena as they were having pedicures. And Serena oh my chose, God, I love it. I know, and Serena chose pink. And she says, I always have pink nails because pink's my favourite colour. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just love other girly girls. I just love when I discover yes, absolutely. Um, and actually, I didn't know this about her, but she actually grew up in Compton, California, which is actually quite a uh, violent uh, suburb of Los Angeles. And rappers such as Kendrick Lamar and Dr. Dre and obviously the NWA album Straight Outta Compton that was all based on Compton and um, one of her coaches I think his name's Rick Macy Mm -hmm. who was contacted by the girl's father to sort of say you know I've got these two daughters and they're very good Mm. he said that when when he arrived at tennis courts there were people there who were shooting up and drinking and there was just like lots of he just couldn't believe that that he was about to watch them play but, um, mm. Was that in that BBC um, yes. profile? Yes. Okay. So what I really found interesting about that was the story that the coach told about how they changed when they started competing. It was Yes, he said it was a metamorphosis. Yeah, and he said that beforehand they were training and they were fine, they're pretty average, and then they were so thirsty for it when they started competing against each other. Mm. And I think that the relationship between Venus and Serena is such an interesting one. Really and interesting. they must have made each other so much better at tennis. Absolutely. When I was younger watching them um, play at Wimbledon, I just think that is impossible. Like, I don't understand how you could have two competitive world-class tennis players in one family that just can't work Mm. and obviously as one gets older you realize that things actually are far more complicated than that and there was uh, she did this really great TED talk last year with Gail King and she said that Venus is my biggest rival but also my greatest support and playing Venus is like playing myself because we train together and we learned together so actually if anyone is going to beat me it's her 
Yeah. Because she's playing like me, and she can she can predict what I'm going to do before I do it, and I can predict what she's going to do. And that's why it's such an exciting, so exciting, game also to awful watch. because they're siblings, and it's just you just <laughs> feel like I don't know, bad that they have to play each other. And I think in total, she's now won seven Wimbledon titles, seven Australian Open, six US, three Roland Garros. Um, and four Olympic gold medals and several uh, doubles titles as well. I love watching them as doubles. And that is the best. They're fantastic. And she is actually the most successful tennis player in terms of Grand Slams because she's won 23 Grand Slam titles. And that's the most held by anyone, male or female. Yeah, exactly. I think Federer is only 20. So I love only. <laughs> only. Yes, I'm near 20. <laughs> and what's crazy is she wasn't even going to be seeded at Wimbledon this year. And then she was seeded. And I think there was this also this assumption that she would just win. I don't know. I just, I felt as though... Or when there she was an assumption that she would not be able... She wasn't on top of her game and she'd just get knocked out and people would not mm. be talking about her. Mm. I think it was quite extreme. I don't yeah, think anybody it thought it would be no. an in-between, she'll make it through a little bit and then she'll go out. Absolutely. Um, and what I then realised in doing the research for this episode is that actually her journey from giving birth to her daughter in September to now is actually one that's far more immense than any one Yeah, so can you explain about. what happened? Because I didn't realise this until... I listened to this BBC profile mm. where it had a clip from her husband, Alexis Ohanian. Ohanian, thank yeah. you, who's the founder of Reddit, the mm -hmm. online platform. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said that he she almost died. She did, yeah. Um, so she had an emergency cesarean. It wasn't planned. Right. So she had the C-section and a few days later she said that she woke up and couldn't breathe. And she was coughing so much that it ruptured her scar. From her cesarean. Oh my god. And the reason that she was coughing so much, she's actually got a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot in the lung. And oh my gosh. I think amongst athletes, because they're so fit, um, their risk of DVT, deep vein thrombosis, and therefore clots, is a lot higher than of other people because their blood does travel around their body more slowly because their heart pumps it. It's just they're, they're just very fit, so that's kind of okay. tends to happen. So she was rushed back into surgery, and her husband actually made this clear on a tweet that he sent out on the day of the Wimbledon final, saying, 10 months ago, my wife was wheeled in surgery. I wasn't sure if I was going to see her again. She's now at a Wimbledon final. It doesn't matter that she didn't win because her real trophy is at home. You know, I love she that. She has a 10-month-old daughter. Which yeah. is, you know, at the end of the day, I think he kind of just, because everyone was thinking, oh my God, I can't believe Serena didn't win. And he this, just kind of went, look, at the end of the day, she couldn't walk for two months and was bedridden, gave birth to our daughter and is now in a Wimbledon final. Mm -hmm. You know, she's amazing. Yeah. And I thought, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that um, to the point of her birth in particular, mm. I didn't realise the details of that at all. Mm. And I don't think many people do know about no. it. And I think that there's been a lot of hype made of the comeback of Serena Williams, yeah. the mother. Yeah. And I think some people have had backlash against that as well because they yeah. think, come on guys, being pregnant is not being disabled. Yeah. As Jacinda Arden has rightly said yes, in lots of interviews. Definitely. And I think that obviously you're going to be regaining your fitness and you're taking some time out and obviously you have completely different priorities you've got another little person to mm. look after. Mm. But the actual nature of her birth with the cesarean scar and all of that, that adds so much more, another completely different dimension that I had no idea about yeah. that just makes her getting to the Wimbledon final even more amazing. Even more amazing. And even she said this in a post-match interview. She said, look, she said, if you don't want to come back to work after you've had a kid, she said, you don't have to. I mean... Working, looking after a, a child is a full-time job. And I just love that she said that because if Serena Williams is saying that, yeah. then it's sort of... She was just basically praising mothers everywhere. And it's something that needs to be moms. articulated more often. Definitely. And she said, you know, it's my choice to come back. I want to do, but, you know, I work in my training so I can spend literally as much time with my daughter as, as possible. 
Um, and what was really funny is talking about her pregnancy because she actually won the Australian Open pregnant. When she was pregnant? She didn't even lose a set in that match. I know. And she said, this is so funny, she said to her husband at the time, she said she knew she was having a girl because she didn't get any morning sickness at all, not even any nausea or anything, even though it was extremely hot and often 40 degrees during the day. And she said, I'm definitely having a girl because only women are that strong. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so it was fantastic. And um, to the point of the reporters asking her the questions, I think this is yeah. just a general thing that women face. One of the reporters said, "You know, how are you going to spin this as positive when you go back to your daughter? Because obviously, you know, you've just you don't need to lost. spin anything." And she just said, "You know, I don't need to make it a happy. It is a happy story. I don't need to spin anything. Yeah, I've just." competed in a Wimbledon final mm. in front of the world and I'm really proud of myself and you could see that she was obviously disappointed she is disappointed she's an athlete she wants to win and she's incredibly competitive incredibly and I just think that that just kind of shows what the media it's their take is it mm. automatically because if you think back to the Andy Murray interview that was really famous remember one of the reporters said to him oh you know you're about to face Sam Querrey in the quarterfinal of the U.S tennis player hasn't made it to the quarterfinal since 2009 and Andy Murray was very quick to say male US tennis player because oh. obviously Serena has been in the final like every year I'm so glad that he picked up on that I know everyone just was more in love with Andy Murray than they already were <laughs> in general though those interviews really irritate me because and I know they have to do them mm. but I mean do they actually have to do them and the same with Anderson when he came off after what, over six and a half hours of playing tennis. I know. I think he's quite good friends with Isner as well. Yeah. And he was, I mean, Anderson was more gutted for Isner than anybody else was. Absolutely. Because if six and a half hours of tennis, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, either of them could have got it. It was Absolutely. so close and so well matched and brilliant to watch. And he just said, I'm, I'm, I'm just sorry I if I don't seem happier that I'm in the men's... Wimbledon final I just have played this number of hours of tennis and I feel really I really feel for my opponent who's yeah, had to do that and then has lost I know Serena said the same about Angelique Kerber and vice versa I think they're also quite good friends and they've faced each other at Wimbledon finals before yeah um another thing that I um I guess hadn't appreciated about the Williams sisters um, as much as I do now, is that actually in terms of African-American representation for females in tennis, this is a huge, huge milestone in representation, not just for women, but also for African-American women, because you don't really yes. see any others yeah. like them at all. And they've been called, you know, the, the Williams brothers. Serena's been called an animal, oh. an animal, too manly, too muscular, huge... I mean, the list goes on. Yeah. And um, again... It's sickening. It's, it's absolutely sickening because a man would never get the scrutiny um, over his appearance. Mm. He never would be like, oh, he looks too feminine or he no. looks too skinny or he looks too big. It's like, never too never, or too it's, anything. It's never too yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, but I think that's just quite interesting. And, and to be honest, she is a force to be reckoned with. She's 5'9". She is very built and mm. strong mm. but she's strong it's, she's not too anything no um and when all of the comments that john McEnroe made about her uh, <laughs> uh came out and i really wanted her to play john McEnroe. i thought let's do yes. battle of the sexes yeah but in real life yeah and for anyone who hasn't seen this film i'd really recommend it it's with emma stone and steve carell yeah and it's called battle of the sexes and it's about Billie Jean King yeah. playing Bobby Riggs mm -hmm. and fighting for equal pay on yeah. the tennis court. Yeah. And she was at the final. She was sat just behind was the she? Cambridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I just think it's such a great thing to talk about. And it's a really entertaining film, but it's also telling a very important story. Yeah. And I think that if you had Serena and John McEnroe on the court, I mean, it was a no-brainer. <laughs> but Serena and, and loads and loads of players, and that is what I love, she just Definitely. holds her own. She doesn't have to be no. Serena the woman tennis mm. player. She is Serena the tennis player. I've also never heard any of her peers say a bad word about her. And she's just so inspiring. Yeah, and she is. And I think, uh, to your point on African-American tennis players and athletes and women... 
they have been, both her and Venus have been role models for such a long time. And Efwa Hirsch talks very uh, poignantly about this in her book, British, which we spoke about briefly last week. And in the podcast we listened to, she's quoted yes, in it. Which yeah, is cool. absolutely. And tells the most lovely story. Mm. So Efwa Hirsch was actually brought up in Wimbledon and she didn't see anybody who looked like her. Venus and Serena arrive on the scene. Yeah. And she's just incredibly inspired by it. Mm. And... Apparently, Serena was staying on the same street that F. Hirsch and her sister were brought up on. Mm. And her sister went over to her and said how much she'd enjoyed watching her play tennis. And Serena gave her sister the racket that she'd been Such using for that story. day. And the final thing that I wanted to talk about in relation to women and tennis, and particularly Wimbledon, is the use of Miss and Mrs. when they're talking about the players who are on the court. So this was something that I noticed when we were watching the semi-finals of the women's doubles and they would say Mrs. Peshka and Miss Melikar who were playing together and who won that match. Mm. And afterwards it got me thinking and we ended up looking it up together mm. and read this article from the New York Times uh, about why this is. Because didn't we forget, because we were watching women's doubles, we forgot momentarily wait do they say Federer or Mr Federer we thought no it's definitely Federer it's definitely game Federer match yes. Djokovic yeah exactly or Nadal or whatever or Nadal. it is yeah. it's always just the, the second name they never would say Mr this or Mr that but when it's a woman they always refer to it Miss or Mrs mm. and having read this article what we discovered was that on the board for example, Billie Jean King is listed under her married name, even though she got divorced from that person. Mm. And it was only because she was married to him at the time that she won. Yeah. So when you're reading the board, you wouldn't necessarily recognise that she'd won it at all because you don't know her married name. Oh, that's so true. That's so true. But I think, I mean, married name and pronoun is like sort of slightly different. I mean, if you want to have your married name, you can have your married name. I still think you should just be... Game Lorimer, whether that's your maiden name yeah. or married name. Not that that's ever going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that ship had sailed. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, I agree. it doesn't matter. There's but just what a I complete think disparity is, right. between the way that they're treating men and women on the court. Devil's advocate here. Does it matter if you name a woman um, Miss or Mrs? I think um, if I was Miss Parkin, I don't know if I would mind. Or is it that I'm just very, I'm just so used to that? that I don't really question it. I just think that whatever we decide to do, you can have Miss and Mrs and Mr, but there's no Mr. So why do we I have know. Miss and Mrs? It's really weird, isn't it's it? It's really yeah. weird. And I think that people should start noticing this more, I hope, and mm. let's get it changed. Because I think it's just sort of an old-fashioned tradition, isn't it? Yeah. just kept. It is. And I don't see the point in it. Mm. And something that I actually love about the bank that I work at is mm. that we don't have pronouns on the cards yeah so it just says charlotte Lorimer on yeah. my card yeah. there's no miss great. there's no miss hmm. that's the so. only card that i have the second figure that we are going to be talking about today is that 422 words that we use today were created by william shakespeare and this is a hotly debated topic there's all sorts of figures which are being thrown around as high as 1,700 words. That's amazing. It is, but I think that it can be slightly misleading because when we say created, some people use the word invented, which doesn't really feel right when you're talking about words. Well, I think what it is is that he like he used to do th he would do things like conjoin two words, exactly, or like changing verbs into adjectives and exactly. nouns into verbs, exactly. So and I've got a few examples actually. So, so created that... seems definitely more appropriate because yeah. it's creating something different or yeah. new, but it's not inventing them entirely. No, exactly. So to give a few examples of what he actually did and then what the word was that he created or invented or whatever mm. word you want to use to describe that uh, so this is from hamlet act one scene five and what so poor a man as hamlet is may do to express his love and friending to you so friending i've got that yeah is has become a verb about 400 years before mark zuckerberg exactly <laughs> he beat you to it <laughs> and then the other one that i read about which i really like is that um this is changing a kind of Latin word into something that you could use in English. So the phrase was his heart fractured and fractus means broken in Latin. So from that you get 
fracted meaning broken and fracture and like exactly and yeah things. absolutely mm. Uh, so there's a huge list of words, but the 422 had so many interesting words that I wrote a massive list of, of all the really, ones, you know, literally so many of my favourite words are included in this list, including dawn, embrace, fairyland, <laughs> glow, um, majestic, radiance, squabble. Apparently things... Vulnerable. Apparently he invented swagger. And that was from yeah. Henry V. Yeah. And uh, bedazzled from yep. the taming of the shrew. Mm-hmm. Um, addiction was from Othello. Yeah. And things like inaudible, he said that he created this negative prefix. Okay, so, so audible may have existed Audible before. did, but inaudible didn't. Mm. It was just lack, you know, it was like mm-hmm. not hearing anything, but he actually made mm. inaudible, which is really interesting. Yeah. But also I think it's interesting to note as well, I, I found on my research that actually the English language during Shakespeare's time was just very limited. So the language yeah. was growing anyway. Exactly. It was a time of creation and Shakespeare was a part of that. Mm. And I think that the, the 1,700 number comes from the Oxford English Dictionary listing the earliest known use mm. of when these words were, were actually and written they down. And truck that back to his Yeah, time. but that yeah. was published in 1928. Mm. And obviously much more research has gone on since then. And there are lots of other opinions and people who have really focused on finding when these words were first, first came into existence. And just because Shakespeare's written them down, he may just have been writing them down. They mm. may have been used... In speaking, yes, but not necessarily in writing, because of course not everyone was literate. Yeah, exactly. So we'd actually exactly. So So why are we talking about Shakespeare? Because we both went to the Globe. We did for the first time. Had you been before? I had been before. Yes, I'd never been, and I got very excited because I studied English at university, and I absolutely love Shakespeare. I definitely didn't always love Shakespeare. I definitely grew to love him, and I would say that. If anybody is interested in him but doesn't quite get what it's all about, go and see a play. I know, they were amazing. They were absolutely brilliant. Because you're not supposed to just sit there and read it. No, which is what you do at school. Exactly. Mm. You need to act it and you need to watch it. And if you can, which is good that you, you do this at school, but try and understand what's going on and you know even if it's you know when you're at the play and you look up the plot yeah just to give you that little bit of extra context and then all of a sudden it all makes sense perfectly exactly um and i went to see a midnight matinee um of uh, the winter's tale and it was from midnight to 3 a.m and it was just it was it was absolutely fantastic it was so great to see how the actors used the stage used the audience how they projected their voices mm. um it just felt very close mm. to the audience it feels like being transported back in time it did feel be like yes that's exactly what it was like i felt like i could imagine myself in elizabethan england and I just yeah thought, oh my gosh this is and what the, it was the like following the day i watched shakespeare in love which is one of my Aww. absolute favorite films i just absolutely loved being in that space and there's so much history and there's so many stories around that there, there are and I, and I didn't realize that what originally happened to the Globe Theatre, because I heard this story uh, when I was at school, but um, the original theatre was actually built in 1599 on the site of a rival playhouse and theatre troupe known as the Rose in Mm -hmm. Southwark. Which features in Shakespeare in Love. Yep. And um, it was a man named James Burbage, Burbage, his sons Richard and Cuthbert, um, basically just offered shares to loads of members of the theatre group so they could have it built. And um, it was used very successfully. However, in 1613, during a production of Henry VIII, I think it was one of the cannons caused the thatch roof to catch on fire and it burnt down in under two hours. Wow. So very quickly. But then it was quickly rebuilt and again (laughs) used very successfully. And it rumoured that Shakespeare actually acted in that second at Globe himself many, many times. I wonder if he's as, as good as Joseph Fiennes. <laughs> Maybe not as good as... Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> moving on. Um, no, but they, they, they... And then they used it at that second site very successfully until all theatres under England's Puritan government in 1642 were shut down. So it was shut down in 1642 and then demolished in 1644. Um, and it wasn't until... 
an American actor and director named Sam Wanamaker visited London in 1949. Did he then say, actually, we need to rebuild this? And it took him years and years and years to do it. Mm. it I don't think it even opened until, yeah, 1997. Mm. I think he spent 25 years raising funds for it. Um, and it was tried, it was built as close to the original that it possibly could, which is why it looks quite old fashioned, which is why you feel as though you've been transported back in time. Yeah. Amazing. Yes. So when you saw The Winter's Tale, Mm -hmm. was there a standout actor or actress? Uh, Yes. The actress that played Hermione, who is uh, one of the main female characters. To put the plot, just a quick overview of the plot, it's essentially a story about how jealousy destroys this man and he's convinced that his wife has been unfaithful to him with his childhood best friend Mm -hmm. and then banishes her and sort of contends her to death and makes wants the child to just be out of his sight out of his kingdom his own son dies in sort of despair that his mother has been killed Mm -hmm. and um then this baby that they had uh 16 years later you see them eventually she actually meets the son of the childhood best friend and the guy that he thought that his wife was having the affair with and Mm. you know so it's it's, it's actually quite a, a tragic story but funnily enough has a happy ending and it's quite comedic throughout yeah and they got a lot of laughs and they were very quick which was very good but that's what Shakespeare's all about because mm. it was somebody much later on who actually separated all the plays into tragedy comedy yes history yes and what actually, was actually what makes Shakespeare so brilliant and timeless is that there's it's a mix, it's a yeah. blend of genres. Humans and are a mix. Exactly. <laughs> and nothing is ever black and white. No. And that's why they're so interesting because mm. you can have, in As You Like It, which is always said this is a comedy, mm. but there are some parts of it which are really, really poignant when you actually look deeper into it. And I would say that that was obviously much more, it would have, I would have had way more laughs than you would, mm. I imagine. But it is still, there are elements of that, which is this kind, a kind of love story of lots and lots of different lovers falling in love and then falling in love with the wrong person. And mm. the gender fluidity goes throughout and they really played on that because they had lots of men playing women and women playing men, mm. as well as having the characters dressing up as men and women. It was all, it was brilliant. So they did that really, really well. And I just forgotten how funny Shakespeare can be. Know, it was honestly hilarious. Yeah, it was so good. And and I, what I really enjoyed about The Winter's Tale was just the reminder um, of jealousy can be a disease worse than the plague. Because what he was trying to show was this man literally had made this up out of absolutely nowhere. Mm. And it completely destroyed him mm. and everyone around him. And I suppose Othello is probably yeah, the other one that, to has Othello, the, exactly. that has the same sort of jealousy theme. Yeah. But actually a lot of his plays do. Mm. Now you think now I think Well of he it. definitely re- revisited several themes and mm. um lots of my English lecturers talked about these archetypal characters that mm. come up again and again in different guises. Yes. They so you've do. got, you know, the old man and you've got the young prince and you've mm. got the maiden you've got the wise that like the mothers quite yeah, interesting mothers characters nurses quite interesting yeah. characters fathers who are quite dominating over their daughters mm-hmm. lots of similar themes which come up but always are explored in very nuanced and interesting ways absolutely and i think my favorite thing about shakespeare is what Ke- john keats the poet described as negative capability which if you ever study Keats I'm sure we'll talk about him on this podcast at some point you will always have to try and get your head around negative capability it's a very weird phrase and it was Mm. used in a letter that he wrote down and he talked about how Shakespeare had this in abundance and what I understand it to mean is getting your own ego as a writer and a creator and an author and this applies beyond just doing plays I think it, it goes into art and music is getting your ego out of the way so that your character and your story can just be breathed through you by ego do you mean sort of um self-consciousness yeah your self-consciousness and your or own thinking oh i don't want to put that in because exactly this might be and your own interests yeah. and yeah. your 
your perception of of what people will think of you yes yes because they're going to think i'm going to think this way or politically i'm going to be thinking this mm-hmm. or whatever it's a kind of humility yeah and or maybe i think this is based on my real life and i don't yes. want them to think that and an empathy mm. those are the words i would probably use to try and describe it mm. but that's what i think makes him so relevant mm. Always. And I think we're only sort of touching on Shakespeare in, in um, the view of these two plays, because that's what we, ha- they're what we mm. happen to see this weekend. Um, but I have a question for you about Shakespeare generally, which is, um, what is your favourite play, if you have one, uh, and why? Or maybe not your favourite play ever, but just your favourite one at the moment that comes to mind first, or that you know the most well? Ooh, okay. Very interesting question. Uh... Oh, I can't choose one. <laughs> okay, what about what's your favourite character? My favourite comparison. Can I answer that? Mm-hmm. So when I was writing, preparing for essays and exams and things, was Antony and Cleopatra mm. with Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, very interesting comparison. Because the way that I saw it was that Antony and Cleopatra are almost like the after the happy ever after. Mm. And if... Romeo and Juliet had lived and they had not ended up both dying, what would their relationship look like when they were older? And then you add in all of the power dynamics and you add in the history and you add in Caesar and the wars and the battles and everything. It's just Antony Cleopatra is a love story on a global scale. Mm, mm. And there's all sorts of really interesting comparisons in the way that they're actually written and they talk about sleep and death those have are always linked in Shakespeare quite a lot and things like poison as well is quite a key key theme in both of those plays and once you start looking at those little details of the props and the language that's what I really love so in that in some ways I love watching Shakespeare but I also do like getting down to the studying Mm -hmm. of it but I think that in order to get that initial interest and love of it you have to really be taken away by the actors and the play and the performance of it and then you can see how clever it is when you take a magnifying glass and you look really into the detail absolutely and um just i was just thinking this when i was researching i just thought is shakespeare the most famous man ever because i don't think anyone does not know who shakespeare is because there's always some reference to him always i think that it would be difficult for us to answer that because we're british but i can't i can't think of anyone else who's more famous than him other than jesus yeah maybe it would be but maybe it would be jesus (laughs) it is it's a very good question though because i just think there's there's literally nothing in terms of humanity that he's not covered and there's Mm. nothing that we i mean i've shakespeare has been part of my school life forever. yeah yeah i mean it was the first proper play i ever did aged yeah when I was six or seven yeah so tell us what you uh who you were and which play <laughs> you were in um god so my parents love to tell this story um and it was at a summer i think it was like a summer holiday uh drama school because i just couldn't get off the stage basically when i was younger and it was a midsummer night's dream and it was a week long and I remember, I don't even remember being cast or anything like that. Because um, I, I was so young. How but young I, are we talking? Like very young, like year two. Or oh, year wow. Three. Okay. If not maybe year three. And um, I remember just sitting in my room in the evening. I have a very distinct memory of sitting in a beanbag on the floor of my room and learning my lines just instinctively on my own mm-hmm. and I cut and paste lots of different lines on these different sheets I was very embarrassed as to how my script looked and I remember arriving on Thursday morning the two days before the performance and um the instructor said you don't have your script and I said yeah no it's fine it's fine it's fine because I'd written all over it and scribbled and it's kind of my method yeah. and stuck and pasted and um and my nanny who dropped me off said oh no it's okay I'll, I'll get it I'll get it I'll bring it back I said no 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 please don't please don't please don't and she brought back this script and um in the meantime they said well how are you gonna you know how are you gonna know what to say and I said I've learnt my lines already and they That's were just so they were just so shocked and apparently <laughs> my parents were sat watching this watching me. and I had at least three pages of lines which is quite a lot for a young person to just yeah and by three pages i mean all which together which character were you i was puck 
I love that. I was parched. He yeah. is honestly one of the best Shakespeare characters ever. And I ever. loved it. It was so... It was part of my own personality. His cheekiness, his slyness. I loved it. And he was... I, yeah, it was great. And apparently they sat in the audience and they both looked at each other and said, wait, did you help her? And I was like, no, did you? <laughs> How is she doing this? That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Um, and I've also been Claudio in Much Ado About Nothing. I've okay. been Juliet. I've been Lady Macbeth. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, you've been Lady Macbeth. Yeah. So this is the other Shakespeare play that I saw recently. And this was at the National Theatre. And it was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And again, this relevance just comes up again and again. And Always. it was the way that it was directed and acted. And all of these references to mental health and mm. toxic masculinity mm. and the way that you can't be vulnerable as mm. in order to be masculine those yeah. so those clash oh my word yeah but it, it was so so good and the costumes and the way that they the, the stage moved in and out and everything was absolutely superb and i can't understand why this got rubbish reviews and i think it's people who just can't get out of the traditional mm. view of it because this mm. is what we need we need to be talking about these emotions like jealousy like vulnerability and love mm. they're all in these plays and they're mm. all communicating 500 years yes they just keep coming up again and again and again absolutely absolutely oh, so good the final thing that i need to add before we finish this section mm -hmm. are all the phrases that come from shakespeare that we use all the time yes and we don't actually know that they come from shakespeare so i'm going to give a list i'll try and choose the best ones okay break the ice comes from taming of the shrew oh i love it to come full circle comes from king lear i didn't sleep a wink comes from cymbeline to be in stitches comes from twelfth night and too much of a good thing is from As You Like It, which is what I saw at the Globe. And Wear Your Heart on Your Sleeve comes from Othello. Oh my god. And there are so many more. I love that. But That's I what just, I mean. Most famous. Like, I, I, yeah, he's so a part of our language of our and our culture. And everywhere. All the time. The third figure for this week's episode is the image of Chrissy Teigen on Instagram of her breastfeeding her newborn son, I think he's probably two months old, and her daughter's baby doll. And Can she's I just say that I didn't actually realise that it was a baby doll. Did you not? No, until I read the articles. <laughs> so I, when I just glanced at it, I thought that she actually did have two twins. babies. The doll is tiny. It's only <laughs> as big as her boob. I know. Her boob is considerably bigger than the head of the doll. Yeah, but I mean, true. and then the caption references... I guess yeah. I have twins now, and I just yeah. didn't really look very closely her, at her it. Her daughter just wanted her to feed her doll as well. Yeah. She's actually probably one of my favourite Instagrammers. Her bio is Make America Great Again. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, fun fact. This is from me now. Yep. She's been blocked by Trump on Twitter. Of course she has. And she described this as euphoric. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, she's cool. She's constantly um, tweeting and Instagramming things that are just very funny and she's not very politically correct and she's kind of saying what we're all thinking. Yeah. Um, and But this post in particular was something that we wanted to talk about, not that either of us have experience with breastfeeding, um, but just this sort of outrage that it caused and mm. the outrage that a lot of images of breastfeeding causes and just generally breastfeeding in general. Yeah. And just breasts. <laughs> because, that too, yes. And so I watched an, an episode of The Bold Type, which is one of my favourite series at the moment, uh, called The Breast Issue. It was in season one, episode five. And they cover lots of different topics, including being topless in Central Park in New York, because that is actually legal and for both men and women since 1992. And the fact that on Instagram female nipples are banned and if you put photos up which is not breastfeeding and is not a scar from a mastectomy and is not in a painting it will be taken down mm. and one of the characters cat is trying to raise awareness for breast cancer and she 
is talking about hashtag free the nipple mm. and she then discovers she's not allowed to do this and mm. so what she does instead is she takes photographs of male nipples and puts those up instead and they still get complaints through Instagram showing that you can't actually tell the difference and it shouldn't be an issue and you know those I brilliant know. Uh, videos which are showing you how to check for lumps for breast mm. cancer but I thought you can do it if it's to do with breast cancer awareness I still don't think you can do it oh. because they have a kind of blanket law and I completely understand why they have this law yeah, because it's purely protective it is protective mm. and they're protecting people who could be vulnerable yeah. to this yeah. if they didn't make these laws yeah. however when it comes to things like breast cancer awareness mm. and you can't actually create a video mm. of a woman showing you how to check your boobs know, for lumps. You've got to use a man who has moobs <laughs> in order to show how to do that. You know those TV adverts? Yeah, that's so bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, it comes back to what we, what we just said, is why is there a fascination or a disgust or don't want to look at boobs? Mm -hmm. This is, I think, where the sort of taboo with breastfeeding comes from. And I don't know if it's necessarily maybe a British thing. Obviously, Chris Teagan isn't... I don't think there's a disgust over boobs. I think there's a disgust over breastfeeding. No, because... Yeah, yeah, but because they're... Because they are boobs, which are originally, you know... Yeah. Kind of... I, personally, would just not feel comfortable breastfeeding in public. Like, I just wouldn't. Is that something you've been conditioned to think? Or is it a personal preference, or is it a combination of loads of different things? I just don't feel... Just in the same way, I'm not necessarily... I just don't like being sort of... Mm. half dry even in a bikini well in a bikini fine but that's about it like I don't I, I wouldn't ever mm. be any less dressed than that in public mm. um, and I would just feel more comfortable with it that way but and, and at the same time if I saw someone breastfeeding I always try and just sort of kind of I don't know just give them their modesty and I don't tend to like stare at yeah. it or like do anything I just kind of but carry then, on with my life the issue that I have is that I think that when you ha- are bringing up a baby which is difficult mm you have bigger problems to think about than having to worry about people mm. tutting at you. No, absolutely. Because you've, you know, shown a tiny bit of your boob. Absolutely. It's just silly. And that's what, and this, so I, <laughs> so in, in research this, this episode, I downloaded an episode <laughs> of a podcast called The Bump Group. <laughs> and, uh, it's about pregnancy and this particular episode of I really questioned what I was doing listening to it but uh, comedian Shafi Zandi does make the point that it shouldn't be about the woman trying to find a modest way of doing it it should be about how the rest of the public respond and if she has to yeah. just quickly breastfeed her baby when they're really hungry then no one should care about it exactly. and I think Christy Teagan got so many comments about I think one of her critics said oh, um, masturbation, sex, nudity, those things are all uh, natural, but I don't want to see them on Instagram. And she just replied with, scroll on by then. Which is the perfect response to just, why are you taking the time and effort to comment on things that you don't you know, want to see? Mm. Just, just click on follow. Yeah, just absolutely. keep your opinions to yourself. Absolutely. I mean, actually, the comments were outrageous. Yeah. Some of them said, keep yourself covered in public excrete your bodily fluids out of the public eye thank you oh god people called it attention seeking people called it exhibitionism and it's just a family photo of her being with her children and finding it funny that her two-year-old wanted wanted her to breastfeed her doll doll. i know and actually today i saw on on bbc news that there is a model named mara martin and she um took her baby and was breastfeeding her along the catwalk. This happened in Florida. Um, and again, everyone went crazy yeah. for that. Um, and her baby, Aria, was wearing headphones. It was very cute. It's so cute. And it was, the sports, it was basically the Sports Illustrated swim, swimsuit show. And she appeared... Which is what Chrissy Teigen used to be a part of, Yeah, right? and she appeared in this gold sparkly bikini. Maybe that was in solidarity with that. I probably... Yeah, Maybe it's it too early been. to tell, but it no, must have been. No, I think it must have been. Yeah. Yeah. But awesome. back to the point of whoever commented and said, I don't want to see people masturbating or like having sex and put those on Instagram. Mm. Why is there a connection between breastfeeding and sexual images? I think the argument was things that are natural. Things that are natural. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. But there is such a connection between boobs and sex. Yeah. And absolutely. this is part of the reason why I think 
so many women feel that they have to cover themselves up because they feel that they're being indecent. Definitely. I think that's probably what my, my issue would be with it, actually. Yeah. I think I'd feel that way. And um, another point that was raised to me recently when I was talking with friends about this is that once upon a time, women's ankles were also seen as uh, sexual. And that's because they were never seen. And same yeah. with boobs. Boob on, boobs are not meant to be seen. So therefore, there's an intrigue. Yeah. Yeah. There's an intrigue. Mm-hmm. So... That's, I think that's where that comes from. Mm. Uh, which is ridiculous because breastfeeding... This is what... Okay, this should sum up all <laughs> arguments and end all arguments about breasts being sexualized. The sole function of breasts <laughs> is to breastfeed. I'm not saying that you have to breastfeed. I'm just saying that's why they're there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So basically, <laughs> this is a moo point. <laughs> It's such a good use of the word. Absolutely. At the end of the day, this is what they are there for. Leave her alone and leave all of the other women alone that mm. post pictures of breast. I love when people post pictures of breastfeeding because actually it's just very natural and very mm. normal and they can do what they want. And if you don't want to post pictures of breastfeeding, then don't post pictures of breastfeeding. And if you don't want to see it, just unfollow. Yeah. But actually to this point, I think that it's fantastic that we've got celebrities sharing their stories of bringing up their children and breastfeeding, but also the difficulties that come along with that, because I think that that is something that has not been talked about enough at all. And so many mothers who have been on Happy Mom, Happy Baby, which we've mentioned many times, and is really, really good. <laughs> oh, it's called the Bump Club. That's what it was called. <laughs> not the Bump Group, it's called the Bump how do they compare? Um, happy mum, happy baby. No, this is like much more like nitty gritty real life problems to the point where they give you a warning beforehand that it's going to be quite gruesome. Um, luckily, I'm not really squeamish and I don't really find these things squeamish. Um, but they were saying that in the bump club that, that people find people find breastfeeding really, really difficult. I actually recommend this podcast. If any of you are listening and you're expecting, definitely go and listen because they have some amazing advice from doctors and midwives um, about different problems that may arise that I'm now very prepared for Um, and and actually so many women are unable to breastfeed and there's a massive stigma around that as well and some hospitals which I learned from this don't even have formula Wow. Yeah, which they should do. No, there's a huge stigma around it and there's um, I think that mothers always have a struggle with guilt whether that is in relation to their career or just anything, the way mm. that they're feeding their babies, whatever choice they make, mm. they there is so much judgment around mm. everything that they do. And breastfeeding is a massive, massive point of that. Absolutely. And that if you can't breastfeed your baby or you choose not to, mm. there is a huge expectation of the people around you generally that that's yeah. not the right thing to be doing. Absolutely. And, um, and one of our favourite podcasts, The Hilo, uh, one of the co-hosts, Pandora, had a baby this year. And she says that she's purposefully not put anything online about parenting yeah um because of this backlash and because people just get absolutely Mm. hounded for it another youtuber that i watch flood force she also does not discuss or put anything parent Mm -hmm. related online because of the backlash and i think that's so sad but it's also good that we have been told about this pressure of working mums and the pressure of breastfeeding because i don't think a generation ago this was ever discussed definitely not you can have a baby and this is what happens and everyone feels guilty on their own. But we are avid listeners of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, so we know all about that. We do love that podcast, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, what do you think about the people who have commented on this photo and said, and championed her as someone who's normalising breastfeeding? Do you think that that was her intention or do you think that she didn't ever expect the reaction. No, that was definitely her intention. Okay. Knowing Chrissy Teigen, I think this was something that she wanted to put out. Not necessarily that inflammatory, just mm. to say, I'm breastfeeding my baby, mm-hmm. isn't this funny about the doll and her daughter Luna? Yeah. Because and... actually she has spoken out about breastfeeding before I'm and sure she I've has. got a I'm quote sure about it, which is that it's very loving and sweet, but it's not easy. It's hard to work your entire day around getting her, this was talking about her daughter Luna, the nourishment she needs. And she calculated it's about 10 hours that she was spending each day. That's so ridiculous. Yeah. Again, Bump Club episode said that there is only so much time in the day that you have mm. for expressing and, you mm-hmm. know, make sure. So so uh, one mum who was interviewed said that she did a combination because she just could not keep up with it, especially when you're working. And my mum yeah. also said the same, that she said, she you know, my mum went back to work 
oh my god like ridiculously quickly like after six weeks two months and mm-hmm. she said yeah i couldn't keep up with with mm-hmm. uh, with all of the expressing mm-hmm. so i had a combination of formula as well so it just depends on the individual and yeah. i'm just really glad that she's normalizing it i think i think it's you know slowly but surely we've got to fight back those internet trolls yeah we, so were, that we yeah. don't have a, a situation like pandora and fleur who just can't feel They're like just they so can scared. anything online yeah, exactly. Well, Instagram, a mother of daughters. Yeah, I know. She came off Instagram. Because she had so yeah. mu- much criticism. And this is a woman who is an incredible role model for women, mothers, a midwife herself, has four kids, mm-hmm. superwoman. Mm-hmm. And yet she felt like she couldn't handle the pressure anymore. Yeah. Which is so sad. Although let's be careful of using superwoman because this is can also become part of the problem. Yes, oh, true. The pressure. Every, every every woman, every mum is a superwoman. Yeah. You know, whatever whoever you are, mm. it doesn't matter. And there are lots of supermen out there as well. Yes. Including John Legend. Yes, Chris Stevens' husband, who Charlotte has such is an appropriate name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I read an article which was um, an interview by Scarlett Russell. And she uses such brilliant words to describe him, including wholesome. He said that he is besotted with Chrissy Teigen. And they met in 2007. He wrote his song, All of Me, uh, in the year that they married. They talked briefly about the IVF and fertility troubles that yeah. they had. She was very open about that, which again, really great helpful because a lot of yeah. people don't talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but one of my favourite quotes, which is actually not in relation to Chrissy Teigen, there were so many great ones, definitely read the article, um, but actually is in relation to Trump. So... Trump is incompetent, racist, narcissistic, impulsive, and he's a misogynist. The only silver lining is the backlash. People are more engaged. And just in relation to backlash, it can be really negative. But I think that in this case, it actually is something that can be used in a positive way. And obviously this week, we've had the blimp yep. <laughs> sail over London. I love, by the way, how you did that roundabout. I was like, how is she going to relate Trump to breastfeeding? <laughs> <laughs> What were your thoughts on the blimp? Um, Such a weird word. What a loaded question, It's a very Shakespeare word. Um, It is a very Shakespeare quote. Um, (laughs) I had many conversations. Some of my really close friends went to the protest. I completely agree with the protest, the right to protest. If I wasn't at Wimbledon, I probably would have considered going because loads of my friends were going. Um, I also agree with all of those things that John Legend has just said about Trump, especially the misogynist part, Mm -hmm. Um, and just being really immature. The blimp, I'm very indifferent of. I feel like the money could have been spent in other ways. Mm -hmm. I feel like there are so many other things. Was it over £30,000 It was, over £30,000. And it was raised on crowdfunding. crowdfunding, yeah. I feel like there are so many better ways that that money could have been spent and actually he's such a massive ego i feel like he would have looked at that blimp and just and just almost took it as a compliment that everyone was thinking about him so much Mm. i feel like like a petulant child the worst thing you could do with trump is to ignore him and i feel like that would have been so much more effective in terms of the blimp yeah i don't i just think and at the end of the day this is the office office of the presidency and i just i don't know i would not have chosen to spend that money 30, on that. £30,000 yeah. on a blimp. No yeah. matter how funny, and I know what the point they were making. Mm. And actually, I think the Hilo covered this in a really brilliant way they this did. week. Oh, fantastic. And what I liked that they pointed out was that there are lots of other leaders that we have invited into this country and treated yeah. with, you know, all the pomp. Right, but I did say this to my friend Maggie who went, um, and she said, but Trump has one of the biggest platforms, if not True. the biggest, and True. is the most powerful arguably true because it's us and i've said but you know fair enough yeah that's true but we have invited leaders such as the is it the president or the prime minister of india i don't know what india, term you Turkey, use crown prince of saudi arabia yeah but it was literally Gaddafi. just as that story was coming out about the six-year-old girl i think mm. who'd been raped yeah and you just think we're we're still inviting all of these people and they're not dealing with the country's no, problems in a way that we should be supporting but it's much more complicated than that. Um, but actually, on Trump, my final thing that I wanted to say is that I went to um, a fantastic event yesterday, which was about a book called Damaged Goods by Oliver Shaw, who is the business editor for the Sunday Times. And one of the people at the table, this lady called Martha, asked a question about these 
kind of bully figures such as the Philip Green which is the subject of this book Damaged Goods and how what if do they hold a future in our society because I think that in business and in politics these almost caricatures who have so much power and they can make things happen but this is a very changing world and I think that for me that Trump protest represented that backlash can be positive Definitely. and that we can knock these people who do not deserve to have the voice that they have yeah. down several pegs all, all my friends who went said it was incredibly uniting and actually really sounded kind of this may be an odd comparison but it sounded kind of like pride like everyone was coming together yeah in in support of what they wanted to sort of put across which was you know love and they wanted you know just to spread positive messages actually that they feel that Trump doesn't and they yeah. said it was much more positive than mm. they thought it was going and to the be. Women's Equality Party did a really good campaign around this where they said thank you Trump for raising awareness around women's issues because it is being talked about yes. in your in the context of you so much more now Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We are so enjoying making them. So thank you so much for all of your support and all of your comments and questions. Please rate, review and subscribe. Uh, it helps other people find the podcast. And if you'd like to see any of the images that we've talked about today and extra facts, please follow us on at Figure Podcast on both Twitter and on Instagram. And you can email us at thefigurepodcast at gmail.com. Until next week. Until next week. Bye-bye.